Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Digitally Uploaded podcast. This is the companion podcast to digitallydownloaded.net, and I have wrestled control of the controls from Alan, so I'm going to be your host today. I'm Matt, if you didn't already recognize my voice. And with me this week, we've got an all-star cast. We have Matt from New Zealand. Hello, Matt from New Zealand. Hello, Matt from Australia. And we also have Harvard from somewhere. Hello, Harvard. Hello, I'm from Sydney. <laughs> Sydney. Ah, oh, Sydney. Did you did you enjoy you using the train yesterday? <laughs> oh no, I dodged it, but I heard people were waiting for like two hours and got told to get out and walk. It's yeah. it's very peak Sydney culture, I say. You have to experience uh, it at least once. It, it was something special. Yeah. Uh, so for listeners in the podcast who are not from Australia, we had the most spectacular day with the trains yesterday. With at six forty-five or something in the morning, uh, one train broke down at one train station, <laughs> and then for the rest of the day, the uh, the network was an absolute mess, and there were delays of like one hundred and eighty minutes to you know two, three, four hours for people to get anywhere, and that was all day long. That was that was a fun experience. I would have loved to have been a tourist in a, in Sydney that day. It would have been... It was a yeah. weekday too, so everyone going to work was just catastrophically late. It was incredible. <laughs> I like, yeah. I like the comments of, I can't remember, it might have been the mayor, or someone anyway, someone very high up on CEO of the train company or whatever, saying, well, like, yeah, the train's having problems, so just leave work early if you need to get home on time. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly like, right. Okay, yeah. <laughs> All right. That's Everyone can just do that. Yeah, we can do that. <laughs> yeah, Sydney. All right. Well let's let's do let's do some Mickey music because that's actually a good thing. Um and then we will we will start to talk about Gamescom first up this week.
Welcome back, everybody. So let's talk about Gamescom. Gamescom is, well, it's the new E3, really. People are getting sick of E3, especially since E3 is now sending people's personal details out. <laughs> if you happen to be a journalist, it's um, yeah, it's making it, it's making it hard for itself as a show. So Gamescom is stepping up as the one with all the rep, and all the developers and publishers are going along and making big announcements. And it was a pretty good show this year, I feel. Um, some pretty neat stuff was shown off and or announced so let's start with harvard i'll put you on the spot tell us all about gamescom what did you like what what were some of the big announcements for you uh you put me really on the spot because i wasn't following it too much what i do like though is need for speed heat i like that spirit series is coming back and the graphics the graphic style looks real cool so i'm on down for that yeah I, that was announced just before Gamescom, but I think there was like stuff. Does it count? Does it count? <laughs> it counts. It definitely it counts. counts. <laughs> it does count. But okay, um, I'm off the spot. I'm, I assume that they showed some stuff off at Gamescom. So I don't follow it because it's EA basically, and I'm over EA. Um, I wasn't but, paying attention, but I think they showed like some gameplay footage. The initial announcement just before Gamescom was like just a kind of teaser thing, like, "Hey, this is happening." In Gamescom, they showed a bit of gameplay footage, I think. Right, gotcha, gotcha. So. Yeah, I did hear some pretty good things from people who are fans of Need for Speed. It seems like that's one that people are looking forward to, which is a good thing. Hopefully EA can deliver, but it's going to be a live service, let's face it. Yeah, I'm... I'm Way to kill my enthusiasm, that. I, I used to really like Need for Speed, but then the last, like, however many they've been in the last few years just have been getting worse and worse. And so yeah. like, I'm very suspicious of it. Yeah. I think the last time there was a good need for speed was like on PlayStation 2. Yeah, I think I feel, uh, that, I feel the same way. <laughs> I haven't, I actually haven't played a need for speed for a long time either. I think the last one I played might have been the PS2, actually. I was a big fan of, of Burnouts, um, which kind of, I mean, EA bought the developer and it transitioned into need for speed. So. There was one that was basically burnout, but it was called Need for Speed or something. I don't know. I'm getting very confused now. It's it's not my field. Um, but to transition, excuse me, to transition into something that we know is going to be awesome, uh, we got a release date for Final Fantasy VIII HD remaster. That was a big announcement from Gamescom. The it's coming very Final soon. Fantasy. September the three. Final Fantasy. No, it's not Madden. You know it. <laughs> Have no, you seen not. that I'm... meme? Whereas on. Um... They they talk to, to Squall at the party and they say, you know, the, the, the best looking guy here. And the original one, his face is just like six pixels. And they've changed <laughs> yeah. it now. Yeah. They've changed and they got rid of that meme. Now it's going to be the worst game. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, um, I mean, it's, it's looking but, good. It's looking to, very good. To be fair, like he had six pixels and everyone else had five. So technically still the best looking guy there. <laughs> I mean, I think I can't, I can't 100% say that I know how, what the developers were thinking, but I think when they made that line, they were kind of assuming that people would use their imaginations. Um, you know, a bit so. like how, when you read a book and somebody says, well, you're gorgeous or something, you know, um, you, you kind of just imagine it in your head. <laughs> 
I think That's that might have been what they were gunning for with the game too. Um, yeah. You were meant to assume that Squall's this hot dude. Also, you saw the cutscene at the very start of the show, uh, at the very start of the game, which was the FMV yeah. cutscene, and he was pretty cute. He's a pretty hunky dude. You Just also don't let him say anything. I'm not sure if that particular dialogue was before or after the dance scene, which is still the best FMV cutscene in video game history that nobody's ever been able to beat. Yeah, I love that one. That's a really cool cutscene. And for the longest time, for whatever reason, I thought it was just animated. And then I saw a clip of the actual FMV, uh, the the um, motion capture that they did for that clip. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, that blew my mind. I didn't even think about them doing... And just for whatever reason, I never thought people did uh, motion capture for games back no. when Final Fantasy VIII was new. <laughs> so I saw that clip and I was like, that, it just blew my mind. Because, yeah, it's a good scene. Nice dancing. Very elegant. I'm actually curious of your opinion. If you if you think about Final Fantasy VIII being released now with the whole junction system level scaling crazy numbers, do you think people would it would find a new audience and people would accept it for what it is, or do you think it wouldn't do that well? The thing about Final Fantasy I've found, and this is a theory I have. I haven't I haven't done any research. This is a hypothesis, and uh, I need somebody to give me a lot of money to actually find, you know do do the research because <laughs> it's a good thing to research it's a good project um but i have this theory where final fantasy games always get better with time uh, in terms of how people respond to them so yeah. i remember i distinctly remember both final fantasy 10 and final fantasy 12 <laughs> being ever you know, being ripped into by people um back when they were new games and then the hd remasters come along and everybody's rediscovering them both as great classics uh mm. i think but Final Fantasy XIII is actually on the same path. Uh, when it came out, everybody hated it because it was whatever. Um, but now there are all kinds of people. I, I imagine if they did a, a remaster or a re-release of that game now, I think people would reassess how they looked at it. I think Final Fantasy VIII will be the same. It's been a while since people had a chance to play it. And I think that when they get a chance to play it now, um, they're going to realize that, hey, you know, it works. It's quite a good game. It tells a good story. That's my theory. So, you know, if any university out there wants to throw some grant money at me, I'll put numbers to it. I also just... People will disagree. I genuinely think the junction system is really cool. Me too. It's a I lot like of it. fun. You can do a lot, of, a lot of silly stuff with it, and that's always fun. I'm also looking forward to seeing all the summons in HD, or not HD, but in you know, their remastered state. Um, because Final Fantasy VIII had a lot of summons, and they all had the most elaborate uh, animation sequences. Oh, yeah, characters. they all went for like a minute, didn't they? Yeah, they were still... huge, long animations, and um, they were great fun. I just loved collecting all of, the, all of the summons just to use them all. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out as well. There'll be also Dog Gun that you haven't seen before. Kind oh, of. Um, well, so... The in the original FF8, as I mean, everyone who's played it probably knows, there was the pocket station mini game thing, the Chocobo's World game. That uh, yes. then it ended up that nobody outside of Japan could play because they decided not to release that hardware outside Japan. Um, apparently, it's just because it was so popular in Japan that they decided to take all the stock that they had originally planned to release everywhere else and just send it back to japan um but through that there were you could get a few items that um you could use to get a few extra summons 
Uh, like I think the the most well known one being like the chocobo, um, and I think there was a mumba as well. And so they're not the same as the other ones in that they you know they don't join your party and they don't level up and have things, but they're just kind of when you use the item the in battle it summons a thing. Um, and so in the remaster they haven't included the chocobo world mini game, but they've put in another way to get those items, apparently. So. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. I didn't know that. That's a great extra feature. Um, yeah. Yeah, really looking forward to that. Also, there are a bunch of other additions that they're putting in. Um, I'm not sure. Some of, some of which are exclusive to the PC version, but um, there are the ability to turn random encounters off and uh, just a whole bunch of things that you can do to make the game um, that little bit quicker and easier to play if um, you're just there for the story or whatever, which is a good touch too, because I think Final Fantasy VIII has a great narrative and I think that's sometimes overlooked in the discussion about the game plays. So, yeah. Also, it has selfie, and selfie's the best. When you said that, I thought you meant like selfie isn't take a photo of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> she would. She totes would in front of, in, in front of a train. <laughs> she loves do, her trains. Do... Do you think that's why that she's called that? It was just surely Square, she Square predates being... she predates that. She does. I'm sure she does, but maybe it was just Square Enix being really pressured, <laughs> really kind of ahead thinking. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. Moving on, <laughs> talking about other things that were old but are re-released and new. Uh, Sega decided to drop Yakuza Three on us all as part of its oh, game song thing. Um. It's actually the Yakuza Remastered Collection. You can go and buy it now. And from what I can tell, you buy it now, you get Yakuza 3 now. You get Yakuza 4 on October 29, and then Yakuza 5 at some point early next year. Um, so they will kind of drop a new one after another. Just enough time to play, play each one before the next lens. Uh, and yeah, Yakuza 3 is now there right now. You can play it right now, which is a nice bonus. I actually haven't played Yakuza 3. It's the only one I haven't played now. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to giving it a whirl. So, Matt, if you're playing, if you're going into the Yakuza series and you haven't played anything, is the way to go Kiwami, Kiwami 2, then the remaster, the re-release 3, 4, 5? Nah. No. No? No. <laughs> Start with Zero. Zero's Start with the, Zero? Yeah, Zero's... Firstly, I mean, in terms of the actual narrative sequence, Zero does come first, obviously. It is the prequel. And I think it's... I think it's just the, the best game in the series anyway. Uh, I think it's, it, it just hits, it, I mean, every every Yakuza game I love, but Zero just elevated it all just that little bit further. And I think it's, I think it's a real masterpiece in the series. So um, start with Zero, then you can do Kiwami and Kiwami 2. But after that, it doesn't really matter the order you play. Um, they're all self-contained enough that you can play them out of order and just fill in the bits and pieces as you as you go through. Case being that um, I haven't played Yakuza 3, but I obviously know how the story ends up. I know how the stories work. I know how the game, uh, Kiryu's character, you know, evolves over time. So, yeah. But you should play them all anyway. That's probably the main point here. <laughs> they're yeah, all, they're all great. Get to it. Yeah, they're all great. You need to play them all at some point. So you may as and well. Soon, soon you'll be able to, because they'll all be on PlayStation 4. Yes, Gonna... once... Once Yakuza 5 lands, that's the last one. And, um, yeah, they're all on PS4, which is great. You know Yakuza, what's interesting about... Yakuza the... 5's great, because Yakuza 5 has this scene where you can... Uh, where the girl... What's her name? Um, ah! Haruka. 
She cosplays as Hatsune Miku, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> you would say that. Yeah. It's awesome. It is the most yeah. awesome scene. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, so I'm looking at these Gamescom, Gamescom announcements, and what's interesting is there's a lot more going back to old games now and making like a a new version or a new sequel of that. So they've got Streets of Rage 4, they've got Windjammers 2, they've got all these games that are retro games and they've got a new one coming out. Like they've got Battletoads, that's, it's such an interesting approach to take. Yeah, I think yeah. it's... I think it's just the industry dipping into what it's already done, so it doesn't need to be creative anymore. <laughs> just like, just like I, the film industry. Yeah, it really is. Hey, it's just the whole. I think the whole just pop culture has gotten so wrapped up in nostalgia that everyone just wants to replay old things that they enjoyed. It's also more serious. It's the end of the console cycle, and just as a general rule. Um, creativity takes a dive towards the end of the console cycle you tend to find the new ideas explored with the new console releases i don't know exactly why that is but that tends to be the case the the new stuff comes at the start of the cycle and then towards the end they kind of just repurpose up stuff over and over again so um that seems to be what's happening this time around as well i mean there was a ridiculous one i think it was announced just before um, gamescom and i'm just here checking digitally downloaded.net for the news um <laughs> Good plug, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm very good at that. Um, just just before Gamescom landed, there was the most hilarious announcement of a, a strategy game. Um, I can't find it now. Bloody hell, that's terrible. Um, it was originally released in 1980 or something. It's been 30 years since the last one and they decided to release a sequel or develop a sequel now. So that's how far they're actually dipping into the games of yesteryear to find these new or these new these new releases so yeah but the nostalgia thing's not bad in itself i don't think um the, uh, there was an announcement for sega and uh, sega sonic and mario at the summer olympic games which i really liked um where there's a whole bunch of 2d events which basically play out like the old track and field games um from the arcade and they're based mm-hmm. on the previous tokyo olympics so it's a bit of a celebration of the 1964 games as well which I think is a really nice touch. Um, that is a nice touch, yeah. yeah. Sounds super wholesome. That's cool. Yeah. So what else have we got? Um, there was a couple of neat strategy games that were announced. Um, Port Royale 4 was announced at Gamescom. And I'm sure that doesn't mean anything to, to either of you. So you're not going to go, whoa, like I did. But I did go, whoa. whoa. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I absolutely did. Because Port, Port Royale is great. It's... um basically like a trading simulation game so you your goal is to set up a um a fleet of trading ships and you know dominate the world economically um and port royal as the name suggests it's all in the caribbean during the era of pirates and pirating so that's a pretty neat (laughs) that's a neat setting and um yeah i'm looking forward to that i really enjoyed the last one the last one was on playstation 3 that's how long ago it was so it's been a while since the last uh sega announced a strategy game which looks like it's inspired by civilization on some level it's called humankind um we still don't have too much details about it but the core concept seems to be there's a whole bunch of cultures and you can actually absorb those cultures into your growing empire and the cultures that you absorb change how your empire uh, develops so in terms of the buildings that are available to it the units that are available to it and all that kind of stuff so um 
call it a colon. It's a colonization simulator on some level. I was just about to say. It could be interesting. I mean, it could be a a good way of uh, reflecting, I guess, how empires or nations really do develop in the real world because they don't just be one civilization that grows big. They do take in elements from their neighbors and stuff. So that would be... I'm keen to see how that turns out. And it looks good because it is Seeger and it has some budget behind it. Um, It's a good developer too. They made Endless Space... Yes, yes, very good developer, very talented group. Uh, and then there was another one that I quite liked. Amazingly enough, there's an anime game that I'm actually interested in playing from Bandai Namco. Um, yeah. yeah, I know. So Bandai Namco is the ones that do or publish all those jump, terrible trash fighting games, and also <laughs> a bunch of other not so good games, such as the fairy, not fairy tale one, um, Seven Deadly Sins one, and stuff like that. So. But they've got a Tokyo Ghoul one coming, and it looks good. It genuinely looks fun. It looks like it's a looks like it's got a bit of a warriors element in there in terms of it's one versus a lot uh, in terms of the combat. So I'm cautiously keen. I quite like Tokyo Ghoul. <laughs> um, I'm hoping it's good, but in saying that, probably won't be. I'll probably be disappointed. <laughs> Bandai Namco is the one that makes all the games that are the same, right? Like the anime arena. <laughs> 3D fighter games. Yeah, that's them. That's yeah. Bandai Namco in in collaboration with um, Spike. Spike Chunsoft actually created all those fighting games, and developed them. I don't know why. Maybe it's the B team. It's Spike Chunsoft <laughs> get thrown through these games to develop, um, and they do. I'm sure um, it's just like a reskin with like the, the hype anime moves with the same engine, right? I mean, Bandai Namco does do that a lot. <laughs> they just get yeah. you know the anime license and stick it over the top of anything. I mean, you've got the Story of Seasons Draymond game coming, which is basically Story of Seasons, just with the blue cat thrown in for extra thrills. <laughs> uh, it looks great because Story of Seasons looks great, but it's yeah, that's what Bandai Namco does with its um, licensed tie-in games. The um, the Dragon Ball Z RPG that they've got coming up looks like it might actually be all right. Like, yes. Yeah. Yes. The, I can't remember what it's called, but the one that they've decided to make a new game instead of just reskinning something. Yeah, it could be good. Um, Dragon Ball Z doesn't interest me all that much because it's mostly just dudes, yeah, punching yeah. each other. <laughs> that's that's the entire appeal of it, Matt. Yes. Um, I, I like the lady characters, and as that fighting game proved, there are virtually none of them in Dragon Ball. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And actually, they've also got, uh, they didn't show it off at Gamescom, but as a digression, they've also got a One Punch Man game coming, and I have absolutely no idea how that's going to work, since One Punch Man is actually invincible. Um, it's a bit unfair if you pick that character, you would imagine. You know, I, I, it won't be this, but you know what I wish they would do, is make like a, either an arcade or a VR game, where you just like do One Punch and you watch the effects of that. <laughs> that would be something I would play. Yeah, I... <laughs> What do you mean I, you watch I, the effects of it? Like just oh, so there's an arcade game in Japan where you just flip a table, and oh, yeah. you need to build hype for it, and then you flip the table. And my friend played it, and he said it was terrible yeah. value for money because he only flipped the table like three times for its hundred yen. <laughs> but that's the draw <laughs> of the seems, game, right? It's you, pretty good. It you do like one thing, brilliant. and you just watch the aftermath of it. Oh right, yeah. Yeah, I have no but idea how one. The... I have no idea how One Punch Man is going to work as a video game because. That's the most overpowered character. It's going to make it created. like generic anime fighter 23. Yeah, probably. And that would be really disappointing, I would imagine, because all of a sudden you can beat One Punch Man, which 
doesn't make sense, I guess, to the anime. But anyway, we'll wait and see how that turns out. Um, have I missed anything, Matt? Has there been any other Gamescom announcements that you've found quite um, interesting? The one that comes to mind is uh, Ori and the Blind Forest coming to Nintendo Switch. Oh, of which course. has been been hinted at a long time, and it's been it was like invo- leaked and stuff a few months ago, but now it's been officially announced. And so that was came, first came out a few years ago, and it was an Xbox exclusive that I guess they've just decided doesn't need to be anymore, which is kind of cool of Microsoft because it's a a game that just fits well it's a very well it's still a it is still a it is still a microsoft game studios game um yeah i think so yeah. it's yeah it's it's interesting that they've actually gone and stuck it on the switch um yeah which is it, it's good i think because i get to finally play the game um it's been that's the it. one game that i wish i wished i had an xbox for uh yeah. and now i get to play it's it really which is game. cool that presentation that nintendo had in general was really good um they showed off a lot of really interesting little indie games that have come in. They dropped a couple of good ones. I mean, I know Superhot's uh, a popular game. It's now on the Switch. was released day one. Um, what else? Uh, Hotline Miami and its sequel landed, <laughs> landed and, oh, yeah, um, and disappeared off the Switch shop in, in Australia within a day, which was pretty hilarious since the PR guy actually sent me a code for it. Um, but I, <laughs> I, I had things to do that day. By the time I got around to trying to redeem the code, it disappeared. It doesn't oh, no. work anymore. Um, <laughs> That's right. Well, you bought the game. The cops are coming to your house now. Yeah. yeah. You'll probably still be able to... Re- if you make a New Zealand account, I think you'll be able to redeem the code. No, nah, it's already gave me a US code anyway. So I am playing oh. it. <clears throat> and yeah. that's it. You can look oh. forward to my review on digitallydownloaded.net, I guess, within the you next You admitted that days. on the podcast, the cops coming to your house. Yeah, that's it. They can come, they <laughs> can come to me. <laughs> I still don't get why people are so upset by this game. But we'll talk about that a bit in the next section, actually. So let's go to some music and come back, and we're going to talk about band games. We're Welcome back, everybody. So this section uh, is pretty much, well, we're talking about Australia here, but um, I hope it's of interest to everybody else that's listening because it's pretty hilarious anyway. Um, Basically, 
over the last couple of weeks in Australia, there's been a, a huge wave of banned games. <laughs> um, it started with Daisy. That's the name of it, isn't it? The silly zombie yep. game. Yeah. Yep. So Daisy found itself banned because there is marijuana in the game and you can smoke it. And the classification board doesn't like it when you smoke pot. Um, for gameplay benefits. <laughs> That's actually the reason it got banned. Uh, and, and then just uh, just a couple of days ago, we got the announcement that they're changing the game for the entire world, <laughs> just so they can get it through in Australia, which is, yeah. You're welcome, world. We've done you a favor, apparently. Um, saved you from the terrible, immoral video games. Uh, then there was, what was it, Kingdom Come. Kingdom Come Deliverance. I think it was a special edition or something, wasn't it? Uh, no, it was a, it was an edition that had a couple of new gameplay uh, DLCs in it. And it was submitted for classification. And each version of uh, Kingdom, Comes, Kingdom, Comes, Kingdom Come had been rated R18+. This time around, it got itself banned. So it's not happening in Australia. Um, I'm not sure. I think it was Implications of Sexual Violence, wasn't it? There was like a scene where you play as a woman character and she gets attacked. I think that was it, wasn't it? I think that's the reason it got banned, yeah. And then we were just mentioned it in the previous section, um, Hotline Miami. Hotline Miami and its sequel uh, got released on Nintendo Switch and uh, Devolver D Digital and being who they are, they dropped it before they got the classification. So for a day, people in Australia could buy the thing, uh, but then it got banned and then it's off the switch shop in australia again so that's three titles uh each time they've been sitting on the australian shelves or the download shops for years in most cases uh without being banned but they've all found themselves reclassified and no longer available in australia so people there are pretty was, mad there, about this there was also um a new dlc for we happy few that's right and it got banned too they got banned as well we um, happy we we happy few actually got originally banned in australia too when it was first um submitted for classification for the drug thing again uh, i think they had to adjust it for the australian version no um, i th think they that was maybe the one case of it successfully a ban successfully being appealed at oh that's right yes the the, the thing the review i can't, don't know what they're called but Basically, yeah, the, the band got challenged by various people and so it went to a, the organisation that re reviews those decisions and they said, actually, no, this is... When you look at it in context, it's not... The drug use isn't for gameplay benefits. It's... That's it, right. It is in context and it is, makes sense. And so they let it go through it as, as it is. Yep. Yeah, you are. You're, you're, you are right. That is what happened. It got appealed successfully. Anyway, the DLC is now not. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's four. Four instances in just the last couple of weeks where things have been banned. And the thing that's amusing, I guess, is that they've been all Western-developed, um, you know, doody-dude games. Uh, the, it's causing a, a bit of a stir amongst the local games press and gaming community. And I think that's a good thing. <laughs> given that the last couple of times stuff had been banned they've been doing all the, they had all been anime booby games and those things people don't care about so nobody nobody cared about the censorships um yeah. this time around all of a sudden they do care because it's a game that they wanted to play which is good it might mean that 
we the conversation starts to get this classification system fixed and stop refusing games classification and then after that the booby games can get released without problem <laughs> in the future which would be great i'm all for that wait so i'm actually confused omega lavenworth is banned here right yes so why is it on the switch store that's a different omega lavenworth oh okay huh and i'm not sure oh yes that's right it is in it is here in Australia. Now, the original Amiga Labyrinth was the one that got banned. Um, this time around, it's a different game. So. Oh, huh, weird. It's like a sequel thing, I think. Yeah, well, that, that aside, like, I've never had any interest in that series. But the weird thing about the bans in Australia is that they seem to stem from the idea that games are still just, like, kids' entertainment, which is why they have that weird rule that if, the, if drug use is incentivized, and it creates a reward, then it's bad. But if drug use is like neutral or hurts you, then it's fine. It seems like a weird way to look at it. Yeah, it is a weird way to look at it. There are some very arbitrary, um, very arbitrary lines that the uh, classification board draws with this stuff, and anything that crosses over those lines, obviously, as a as a board, they actually can't. <laughs> they can't just ignore them they have to follow through so it's really the legislation behind them that is the problem not so much the board itself Mm. um but yeah i mean the other example is uh, sexual violence is just a blanket no-go with the classification board in video games um which is fine until you realize that there are conceivable ways in which it could be used to a particular narrative point as it is in film uh, and the film industry has a little bit of leeway there, which the game industry does not, which is a bit weird since they use the same classification system in terms of MAR ratings and stuff. Yeah, I think they they put a lot of emphasis on the interactivity part. So the fact that you can be a player who's doing something makes it worse. I don't know. Yeah, the assumption is that the interactivity makes the experience more intense or something, and because it is more intense, or you know, the impact of it is higher. Um, therefore, they need to be more sensitive about it, which interests me since uh, the video games, video games as a general rule of thumb, especially big budget ones, are much more violent than films, and yet that doesn't seem to that doesn't seem to concern the classification board. We have weird stuff happening all the time, like metal. Uh, Call of Duty games getting MA ratings or Assassin's Creed getting an MA rating, meaning that it's appropriate for actual children to play for some reason. Um, and I don't get that. I guess it's how much money you've got to spend whining and dining, whining and dining the classification board. Not that I would ever accuse anybody of corruption, but yes, I am. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, I, I think that um, there's... This is weird double standard too, with the violence that is just general game violence is fine, and people turn a blind eye to it. Whereas in film, they're a lot more careful, or they're at least a lot more deliberate with it. Well, I think in the film industry, they hide it behind there being no blood, therefore it's no bad. Um, yeah, all the all the Marvel films and whatever. They're all very violent films, but nobody really notices that because there's nobody actually bleeding. Um, the war films in, tend to still have all that gore and stuff, and they tend to be celebrated for that because of its gritty depiction of war and whatever nonsense. Um, 
the critics want to write that stuff up as. But yeah, definitely with video games, um, with video games, there doesn't seem to be that sense of concern by developers. I don't know if it's a lack of creative talent or what's going on, but a video game developer can't seem to make something without making it very gory. Uh, and yeah, that's the thing. And they very often use violence or the ability to commit violence as a selling point, which is really interesting. I was actually watching an interview on Control, and there was they were talking about how you could use your powers to like pick up a dead body and throw it at another enemy as if it was something cool. But actually, in the real game, there's there's no reason to do that. There's no significance to it. It's just something that they thought would interest game buying crowds or something. Yeah, yeah, there does seem to be like that. A certain level of cynicalness from developers, whereby they know that the more violent they can th- ramp things up, the the more extreme it is in terms of violence only. Um, not only do they get away with it with the classification boards because they don't care about violence until it's Donald Trump and <laughs> there's a gun thing to, to pin blame on somewhere. Um, but yeah, they, they get away with it with that, but there's no real other area in which they can get away with that kind of extreme content um, without the classification board getting very upset because like we noted, um, drugs is a problem, sex is a problem. Um, basically, everything is a problem except for violence, which is odd. On that violence note, is bad. I guess I want to ask, do you think these bans and this, what the Australian government is doing, does it work on the side of developers? So does it encourage developers to dial back some of the content, or do you think it doesn't do anything? I mean, if Australia was America, maybe. Um, if Donald Trump gets his way and every get game with guns and it gets banned because apparently it turns people into serial killers then all of a sudden developers will stop making game, games with guns in them but australia is such a tiny crappy market that nobody really cares that much about it they're not really gonna i mean daisy was a pretty hilarious example but i think that was just the developer being lazy and taking a feature out that didn't matter that much to the game uh, in order to get it to pass in australia but for the most part they're not going to change their development cycles they might adjust things slightly for the australian market but Unless it's easy to do, they're not even going to bother doing that. They're just not going to release it. Um, so, yeah, I don't think Australia's got the market size or um, control to, to really drive through anything like that, except for the local guys. On that note, we'll go to some music um, and we'll come back and we're actually going to talk about games like that one that Harvard just mentioned, Remedy or whatever it's called. Um, they're going to try and sell it to me, I think. <laughs>
And welcome back. Okie dokie. So, for the last section of the podcast this week, we are going to talk about Remedy. No, wait, Control. Remedy. Control. Developer. Yes. Developer, developed by Remedy, this um, this game, the embargo lifts uh, by the time you hear this podcast, so we can talk about it in full. And I haven't played it because it looks like, or it looked like a shooty thing to me. And we all know how much I love my shooty things. Uh, but we have had two people play it on the team, Matt and Harvard. So sell me on it, Matt. Why should I play this shooty thing? Um, because it's a shooty thing and you can shoot people. <laughs> um, no, it's a... I didn't really know what to expect going in because I've never played a Remedy game before. And so I kind of thought was thought it'd be like well, a, another kind of generic third-person cover shooter, but maybe with a slightly more intelligent story than the usual one. But it's a lot more than that, and it's just it's a the sh, the shooting part is like it's there and it's part of the game, but it's not the whole game, and it's much more just about exploration and trying to make sense of a really bizarre fragmented story about the paranormal kind of stuff i don't know what do you think harvard you're a bit yeah, you're, a bit, you're, you're, you're better at, at describing it than i am yeah so i would call it like a mix between the x-files the tv show and something by david lynch so maybe like twin peaks it's got that pseudoscience theming but it's got the uh, really experimental way of telling a story and the non-linear and just weird visual style of it and the gameplay is something like metroid prime so there's shooting in it but there's also exploration you're getting more powers to traverse this environment and it's all about having this really weird interconnected space in your head and just exploring that right okay did you there's, there's ever a, play a... um alan wake matt no Oh dang! You should play Alan Wake. Alan Wake is very, very good. It's um, it's a game that's very narrative focused. The shooting is kind of incidental because it has to be that, right? It's a triple A game, so there's just some shooting in it. But the story that it tries to tell is just beyond what any other studio is doing in games at the moment. They're trying so many things with like non-linear narratives and different perspectives and getting in that all that weird stuff that David Lynch loves to do in his TV shows. That's how I feel when I play one of their games. See, when you say David Lynch, I suddenly start to think, oh, so it's like Deadly Premonition. Um, It's like a cleaner version of it. Like, Deadly Premonition was weird for the sake of it sometimes. And I think there's definitely some restraint being shown in control, especially, to try and make sure everyone understands it. Well, isn't that kind of the point of David Lynch? It's weird for the sake of being weird. Yeah. That's that's what the dude does. (laughs) I mean, there's, there's a recurring scene in control, which I think illustrates it well. Um, sometimes when you need to traverse a really big gap, you need to flick off life switch on and off three times. And then on the third time, you get transported to this random motel in the middle of nowhere. And you need to do a, basically an escape room puzzle to find a key to open the door to find the next light switch to flick on and off three times. And then you get transported back to where you were, except there's now a bridge taking you forward. That's the kind of atmosphere you're dealing with. I'm trying to visualize that. Because now I'm thinking it's like a, it's like an OCD simulator plus arbitrary puzzle thing. Oh, that's the thing though. It's like, it's very unexpected. 
and it's disconnected. You have no idea what the significance of that motel is at all. And it's really mysterious, and you're just suddenly thrown back into the main story. And it's played off as this is just a natural way of traversing a space in this building. Right. The previous person who did it used to do it as well. Right. Uh, yeah. I think it's probably there's a, a sort of house of leaves element in there, and that. So the building. Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, this kind of it's, it's a, like a, basically like a top secret um, federal. It's called the Federal Bureau of Control, and it's like a top-secret FBI-type thing that investigates paranormal stuff. But basically, their building is something. What do they call it? I think it's they call it the the oldest. The oldest house. house. Yeah, they yeah. say they found it just while in the subway tunnels. They got into a building somehow, and they realized that if you're not looking for it, you just don't find it. And so they decided yeah. to use it as a headquarters of operations to explore weird paranormal activity that occurs in the United States. Wait, wait, wait. So that's Sorry. what gives me that. Can we go back? You said House of Leaves. Yeah. Like yeah. the book. Yeah. And so it's the, this the, building that basically... The book, has... by, the book by Daniel, Daniel Wolski. can never pronounce his name. The one where the house inside is smaller than outside, right? Bigger inside. Bigger. Yeah, yeah. that one. Kind of like that. It's yeah, like right. that horror. It's a like horror book. Yeah, and yeah, it's so... like it's it's presented like an essay thing, but the yeah. footnote the footnotes are actually longer yeah. than the. Yeah. Well, I did not realize yeah. that so many people knew that book. My mind is now blown by this. Um, Can we talk about House of Leaves? Because this is an amazing book, and I've never actually found anybody to talk about House of Leaves. Oh, I'll admit, I've never actually finished reading it. Oh, I've never read it. It's not what it is. Um, it's. I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say that the game is like House of Leaves, but it's that this building basically no one knows where it came from and it has a kind of has a mind of its own and just changes its layouts and reshapes itself on a whim and so nothing it's the just all the the physics of the space are kind of all a bit bizarre and distorted but everyone you meet and interact with works there and it's just kind of normal for them and so nobody really thinks twice about suddenly having to flick a light switch three times so that you can get transported to a motel so that you can get to the room you're trying to get to. Yeah, and it's weird. Like, there's there's weird dimensional rifts in the building. So every now and then you'll get thrust into this entire different area. And they've integrated that as part of the office operations. So there's just yeah. this random mine somewhere in the building and they just start mining rocks from it. It's just, it's interesting. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. And so it's that, that weird... That juxtaposition of just a very generic kind of office building, but with weird stuff, and like there's kind of health and safety posters on the wall about being like, well, this is what you need to do if suddenly you're in a room and it starts to change, change yeah, its shape. It's really surreal. It's <laughs> it's like um, it's hypnotic. It's like dreamlike as you play, yeah. and, and you just start to think this is normal. There's a weird kind of anachronism to it as well, in that. I mean, it's you don't really know when it's set, or at least as far as I've played, it's never really outlined. But it seems kind of modern day-ish, except there's all, a lot of really old and outmoded technology. Oh, it's it's explained. Using. Actually, in the it's um the game is pretty similar to House of Leaves in that it's very reliant notes. So you find clipboards as you as you explore, and you want to just read them, and it gives you a bit more. Mm -hmm 
insight into the game's world and what's happening at the moment. And it's kind of like reading a novel and seeing a footnote and then just reading a little blurb and then going back to your story. Mm. And so yeah, they, been, they, re- they explain that on... Yeah, they're really interesting. And they explain that the modern technology is banned in the oldest house because it creates distortions or whatever. And you're not allowed to bring in phones or any form of communication, no radios or anything. And you're not allowed archetypal objects. So any object that's emblematic of a whole class of objects is not allowed. So like a digital camera, for example, that looks like other digital cameras is banned. And there's these little mysteries that go through the entire game. You have to figure out what's the significance of that. Yeah. When you say banned, is it like somebody's watching you? Yeah, when you walk in, you you have to get scanned and you have to leave behind anything that's an archetypal object. So it's like there are actual people watching you or is it the impression that you're being watched at all the time at all times um i don't think there's people watching you it's like it's not it's not a functioning office at the moment because it's being invaded by this hostile evil force so you're walking in and you're trying to or you suddenly become the director of the company for some random reason and then you need to solve this um problem that's happening in the building right it's it's yeah it's very strange and i think i mean i don't know you've played more of it than i have harvard but where i'm where i'm up to a lot of things just don't entirely make sense but in a way that it feels like it's deliberate and you're not really supposed to know like i mean the game begins with your character you walk into this building because and you don't i don't you don't even know how She's find found out about this building and got in. It's just kind of like, oh, by the way, here you are. And then you go kind of follow the path and end up in the um, office of the director of this top secret federal thing. And he's dead on the floor holding a gun that is kind of... How do you say it? Just It's sort of like changing shape, like... As it sits there lying on the floor, it's realigning itself. And then when she picks it up, she gets transported to this other plane of existence and asked to solve, like, solve a sort of puzzle. And by doing that, it means that now she's the director. And that's the, the sort of the level of weirdness you're dealing with. Sorry, I was going to jump in, but I just wanted to listen to how you tried to explain that. <laughs> I couldn't have done a better job. It's it's yeah. very strange. You definitely need to play it to understand it. The thing I don't like is that I, I, I'm a huge fan of Alan Wake. I think the original Alan Wake game was such good storytelling. And I think its control has kind of sanded away some parts of it. They, they've been less willing to go for a really um, convoluted narrative. There's still, like, if you're just playing a AAA game, skipping the cutscenes, shooting some enemies, you'll still get something out of it. Whereas, I think in Alan Wake, you wouldn't. But, yeah, I'm still enjoying it. It's still very different to anything else you'd find in today's gaming landscape. It sounds... Well, I'm not sure I have a clearer picture of it <laughs> from what you guys sure. have said. <laughs> to be honest, um, that's not a that's not a that's that's not you. It just seems like it's a very strange game. Um, no, yeah, it's like if I asked if I, it's like if I said describe Twin Peaks, you would have ended up with a similar thing, right? 
Well, I mean, Twin Peaks is like a surrealist crime fiction, well, not novel, TV show. So it's a it's a work of surrealist crime fiction. I mean, that's what I would roughly say it is. It's it's like um, any any crime fiction you've seen, but with a, a weird twist to it. Okay, this is, this is like a surrealist, surrealist sci-fi science fiction, science fiction, kind fiction. Of, yeah, Which sounds yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I still need to get over the the notion that it's a, a shooty thing, um, but I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Maybe I'll, I'll play that after I play the one I'm playing. So, yeah, to segue, <laughs> since uh, since we were talking about games, um, I can't talk about it too much because it's still under embargo when this this um this this podcast goes live. But we haven't got too much time left anyway. Um, another game that's going to turn heads, I think, or at least there's a lot of people looking forward to it. Um, Man of Medan. I'm playing that one. Mm-hmm. That's that's the mm. horror. That's the horror game from the developers behind. It um, oh, looks shit. good. What was it called? Um, um, Until Dawn. Until Dawn. Yeah. Oh, the teen, yeah. The Teen Slasher. So it's the new game from the developer behind that Teen Slasher game, uh, and it's basically the. Well, it is basically the same premise as a video game. It even has the cutaways to some dude that is in a room talking to you in a very. Um, in a very a faux philosophical way, I guess is the way to describe it. You know how Until Dawn had those scenes where you were in the psychologist room and that actor dude that everybody loves but can never remember his name, um, <laughs> he he talks to you a bit about what's going on and, yeah. So it has that kind of structure in Man of Medan as well. Um, and it's very choice-heavy, um, interactive story, I guess. Uh, only this time around, it's uh, about a bunch of people that wind up on a ghost boat, and we all like ghost boats. I love ghost boats. Oh, yeah, yeah, ghost boats. Oh, you know what's a good ghost boat game? Nine nine nine. Excellent ghost boat game. That's a good go- good ghost boat game. Yeah, ghost boats. Um, but yeah, it's 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 really <coughs> neat, and I mean, just like how in Un- Until Dawn, I guess the the decisions you made obviously. Ch- determined who lived and who died in this one there's a really strong sense that you really do um have the ability to save everybody or and or have everybody completely killed um just the the decision in in man of medan is much more naturalistic um and the consequences don't necessarily um they're they're not necessarily projected and i mean that in in a good way so it you're just going to play along making the choices that you think are the right choices. And then sometimes some dudes are going to die as a result of that. Um, but not in a way that you have a, you can, you can really predict ahead of time. So it feels very fluid. It feels very, it's very, very cinematic. Um, it plays like trash, just like until Dawn did. Um, <laughs> like the one thing I, the one thing I don't like about these, this developer and their, their games is, they go to all this effort with these gorgeous cinematic cut, uh, camera angles and um, you know narrative elements and and that kind of fluid presentation. But the minute you have to control the dude, he ends up walking into a wall because <laughs> you just cannot steer him properly. Like every he he's, he controls like a tank that's on LSD, um, and it's just a nightmare to actually get him around. And suddenly you lose a lot of the cinematic quality of the game because. You know, in real cinema, people don't just walk into walls. Um, but <laughs> other than that, it's it's a very good, very intense, clever, 
cleverly written horror game uh, and a very it's a very Hollywood horror game so it's very um, sanitized very violent and stuff but very you know doesn't doesn't break taboos it's not going to get banned in Australia let's put it that way I like the look of it and it's the first in a in a in an anthology I don't know how many that means I don't know how many are actually going to be done in this anthology but it's the first so um, hopefully it's a success so they continue doing them and otherwise it'll it'll finish up early but yeah yeah if- I don't know if you can answer this but I hope it's really short like enough that it or the same length as a horror movie because the main thing I didn't like about Until Dawn was that you really had to it was a game that was played well with the group but also you'd have to keep everyone in the same room for like an entire night so <laughs> yeah it's um yeah. it it is longer than a movie a horror movie it's not an hour and a half to finish it um mm. it's not I... I, I don't want to. I can't give a exact number of hours because that would be wrong of me. But it's not long. It's not. It's maybe not a single session game, but it's not long, and it definitely does encourage you to play with other people. Um, that's a major element of this one. Whereas that with Until Dawn, you were kind of sitting in the same room, and that was kind of fun. With this one, they really encourage you with extra. Well, the the multiplayer mode. Um, it's it's a different mode, and there's slightly different ways to play with other people so hmm. you know what i would really like is something like this but four hour to hour and a half horror vignettes and then you just pick one and then you just play it as if you're watching a movie with some friends that would be amazing yeah you know me i'm all about shorter yeah, games um but yeah i, I think I, I don't think that this one's too onerous on your time and uh, if you get a lot of play out of it, it'll be simply about replaying it over and over just to see how to go try and save some of them or to kill some of them. There's a couple of characters in there that I just want to die. Like, they're really annoying characters, and I just hope <laughs> they die. Just kill them. Yeah, I, I deliberately try and choose the options that will get them killed. Um, sometimes <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it takes longer than I, I was hoping for, but anyway, um, it's it's a good game. So, yeah. Lots of, lots of good games coming out this week. Be sure to tune into digitallydownloaded.net for the full reviews of all of them. Um, and other than that, we'll be back next week with more antics and more bants. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and thanks for being on the podcast, Matt and Harvard. Mm-hmm.